As many of you know, I am also one of the many parents who were privileged to have a baby born during this pandemic. I say it is a privilege because, you see, kids grow up real fast. For the most part, staying at home most of the time enables me to actually witness their milestones, if not all of their highlights as they grow up and mature. One of those aspects that I enjoy watching with my two kids is on how one toddler actually begins to relate with one preschooler. It's interesting to see how they kind of communicate. Oftentimes, uh, they are the best of friends. You can see them take their time to play with each other. They enjoy each other's company. They would laugh at each other. Uh, They would be best of friends. But after quite some time, the next thing you know, one is crying, another is making wild tantrums, and they could be hitting each other. And after a while, the next minute, they are best friends again. I guess that's the general reality or the general case for most children out there. But little did I know that not all is the same case as well. Like the case between two siblings that I know, they are grown-ups now, but for the most part of their childhood, they didn't have those best friend moments even at their very young age. They never seemed to have gotten along and had very little memory of actually playing together, being closely knit. One time, they had a conversation now in their adult years of about in their mid-twenties. The younger sibling brought up that to the older one and asked why she never seemed to have had that interest for them to actually play together, for them to spend time together. And to her memory, it's very, very little of that. The older sibling responded, well, you actually remember that incident in our toddler years? You actually hit me real hard with that game console controller. You know, ever since then, I hated you for that and I never wanted to play with you again. And so all this time, she had never forgiven her. Imagine all those years that they have wasted, that they have passed, just because one never forgave the other. Now, you may find such story to be quite odd, but I realize that this kind of scenario doesn't happen only between kids or even adults, but more so even among the body of Christ, among believers. I suppose some of you may have had such an experience, or you may be, you know, people who in the same way have never gotten over a negative incident because of unforgiveness. We see relationships strained for a really long time. Others live in silent, cold treatment of each other. Some never in any way get close to being resolved or reconciled, which is quite ironic when you think about it because isn't it that what made us believers, isn't it what made us brothers and sisters in Christ was, in the first place, forgiveness? See, the reality of living in a broken and sinful world is that conflicts are inevitable. Our relationships will definitely experience rifts, hurts. We will experience being wronged. And it often does come uneasy to forgive. But how can we cultivate a heart of forgiveness? How are we called to respond in times when we are wronged? How do we navigate in times where there is tension and rift between relationships that surround us, especially among fellow believers in the Lord? There was this true story happened in ancient times of a wealthy landowner. 
He lived in the town of Colossae, and his name was Philemon. At some point, he happened to meet the leader of the Christian faith, as we know, Paul, and history tells us that it might be somewhere in Ephesus, and because of that encounter, Philemon became a believer. He was shared of the good news of Jesus Christ, and he became a Christian. He was on fire. He was zealous for his newfound faith, and together with others, he established this church within his home. And we know this guy is a wealthy man because of having a house large enough to actually uh, accommodate a good number of a congregation. And another reason is that we know that he actually owned slaves. In other words, he had servants. He had hired men who worked for him. And one of those hired men was actually by the name of Onesimus. Well, Onesimus was one who didn't like being a slave. He felt that his situation was unfair and that isn't what he deserved. And so he decided that he wanted to change that condition of his life. So one day, Philemon, together with the family, was probably out. Onesimus found his chance. He took whatever he can in his hands, the money, the jewelry, anything of value, took with him, went ahead, went to another city, probably Rome. That was the major city of that time, lots of good stuff going on, and well populated enough for him to kind of hide in anonymity in the crowd and be able to enjoy his time. And apparently, he happened to meet lots of people, and for some reason, for some turn of things or events, he happened to come across with Paul. We don't know how exactly that turned out, but somehow, they got in touch while Paul was under house arrest, and he was told of the good news of salvation. And so Onesimus too became a Christian. Well, at one point, I imagine Onesimus striking up a conversation with Paul, and he said to him, Paul, you know what? There is something I need to tell you. Paul responds, sure, what is it, Onesimus? Well, the truth is I actually came from this small town called Colossae. I'm not really from Rome. Paul says, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I know Colossae. And then Onesimus continues, and uh, there is this man in Colossae named Philemon. Paul says, you know Philemon? I, I, real, I, I know him too. I didn't realize you know him. What a small world. I was the one who actually told him about Jesus Christ. You know, when you go back, please do tell him about things that are happening here, how people are getting to know Christ. And Onesimus interrupts and says, uh, uh, wait a minute, Paul. Um, I don't think Philemon is going to be in any way interested to see me. You see, when I actually left Colossae on my way here to Rome, I was on a hurry because the truth of the matter is I robbed him real bad. That's how I got here. That's how I got my money, and was spending them all here. And as far as you would know, a runaway slave is to be punished by capital offense. And so, Paul, you know, I really like to go back. I really want to make it up, but I don't know how at the risk of my life. I'm not sure how I could do that. So, Paul explains and says, well, you have to go back. That is the right thing to do. But this is what I'll do for you. I'll be writing a letter, and you will bring it with you so that you can give it to Philemon. And I think when he reads that letter, everything will be all right. And so while on that house arrest, Paul begins to write and pen that letter and trust it to Onesimus, 
And as Onesimus travels back, I can imagine it must have been the longest travel back he had. Approaching the house of Philemon, Philemon begins to recognize this guy. Philemon now all set, triggered, wanted to seize him, wanted to put him under arrest. And as he approached him, Onesimus says to him, wait, wait, before anything else, Philemon, please do read this letter. I have something for you. Promise I won't run away. This letter is for you. And so Philemon takes the letter, opens it up, begins to read. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I take that these people were Philemon's family, and he goes on to continue what he wanted to tell Philemon. And so Philemon reads, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. I imagine Philemon reading these words. It must have, been, it must have felt nostalgic after those many years that uh, they have been together and those good times and now being separated for quite some time. Nevertheless, the good thing was Paul continued to hear good things about Philemon, his fervent faith, his growing walk with the Lord, and how he continued to be an instrumental uh, part in the lives of the people in the church. And so Paul affirms and tells Philemon that he's praying for him. And what Paul wanted Philemon to experience or to recognize is to have a greater appreciation of God's grace in his life. That as he sees God's grace abound, he will continue to grow in that appreciation. And out of this overflow, Paul says, I hope that you will continue to demonstrate that grace toward the people around you, toward your relationships, through your love and the edification of the believers. See, Paul knew and understood that there's always a correlation between a person's relationship with God and how he or she relates with people. And what he's trying to set the stage here is that this virtuous character of Philemon would become the foundation by which Paul will base his appeal later on to challenge Philemon to bestow forgiveness. See, the first principle that we can learn about forgiveness and reconciliation in this uh, segment of this letter of Paul is that forgiveness is a manifestation of God's grace through us. Forgiveness is a manifestation of God's grace through us. You know, when we pursue a growing and intimate relationship with God, we also draw closer to the things that are close to the heart of God. And one of the things that is dear to God is when His people live in unity, when they live harmoniously, when they're at peace with one another, when they would show love and grace and be a blessing to each other. God's grace continues to abound in the believer's life. And when God does that, you see, God never intends grace to stop with us. God desires that we, the recipients of His grace, become the channels, become the instruments 
who would extend and pay forward that grace that we have received, especially to those who need it. And you know what? Sometimes that can come through graciously forgiving people. When you look closely into our life, an act of grace that God continues to bestow on us every single day is actually forgiveness. Think about this. Count the number of times when people have wronged you and compare to the times that you have wronged God. Does that even come close? Do you see God's grace overflow in that? See, forgiveness is something that you and I can never pay or give back to God. God will never make a mistake. God will never do anything wrong. And so the only way to extend this grace is to bestow it to someone else. When you look into your relationship with God, do you recognize the overflow of His grace in your life? How intentional are you in being God's channel of His grace towards other people? How has God's grace and blessings in your life being translated in your relationships? If I may also ask, is there any rift or tension in your relationships right now that you realize necessitates that you extend the abounding, overflowing grace that God has in your life in the form of forgiveness? Now let's go back to the letter and Philemon continues to read and verses 8 to 11 reads this. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. What we see here is Paul's love and maturity being displayed or demonstrated. While he has that authority, while he could have that influence, while he could just simply give an order to Philemon to just forgive Onesimus, he chooses to dialogue through an appeal. See, Paul knew and understood that genuine forgiveness can only happen when it is done out of a personal, willing, and voluntary decision. He didn't want Philemon to just obey out of compulsion or out of compliance. And I think there's wisdom there that navigating or resolving conflict often requires taking extra care of a people, being sensitive to the situation, and using a lot of wisdom and tact in communicating. See, Paul's appeal to Philemon was that now that you have recognized God's grace in your life, now that you have been demonstrating that and translating it to be a blessing to the believers, here's what I ask you of you. I ask you of you if you would also extend that same love and grace also to Onesimus. You know, Paul was being creative here and how he was communicating this because the name Onesimus actually meant useful or profitable. And Paul was saying he's been useful, but we know for Philemon, Onesimus was a useless guy. But what Paul was trying to communicate through this wordplay with Onesimus' name and being useful was that this man is now a changed one. He now has a new life in Christ, and now he can live up to his name. Only Philemon, if you would give him a second chance. To put it in another way, Paul wanted to change Philemon's view of Onesimus. 
He wanted him to see how God has changed Onesimus today, how he is now different. While they have had an unpleasant experience in the past, he wanted to see Philemon to see that Onesimus was not beyond hopeless, and that hopefully this will further open up Philemon's heart to forgive Onesimus. And herein lies the second principle of what we can learn from Paul on how he was appealing to Philemon to cultivate a forgiving heart. And that is that we are all God's work in progress. And there is no life that God cannot change. We are all God's work in progress, and there is no life that God cannot change. See, the reality is that whenever a person has wronged us, the last memory that sticks with us is, is that unpleasant encounter, that upset that we have had with them. That, that is what sticks deep within us, isn't it? That is why more often than not, that negative experience becomes the basis of how we judge another person. That becomes a means by which we attach to the person's character, often lasting for a long time. You know, keeping such a baggage towards another person would naturally cloud us. They would naturally hinder us from seeing the person's potential of change, of the person's potential of being worked on by God, and we fail to witness God's work in them. And just on a side note here, if Onesimus actually meant useful, and that was what was expected of him, you know, Philemon, his name actually meant affectionate. His name also meant one who was kind. Well, if the slave was expected to live up to his name, how about the master? Exemplifying forgiveness comes with it the implied message that says, you know what, whatever happened, it's okay. Despite of that, I trust that God is working in you. And you're not beyond hope, and I'm sure that you can do better. And I want to see you the way that God sees you. Whenever you and I learn to bestow forgiveness, keep in mind that God is not only working in the other person, God is not only changing the other person, but also molding our hearts so that we can learn to be more Christ-like in our forgiveness. Maybe what God is molding in us is how we can trust Him that we will not take revenge. Maybe it's molding on us to learn to love better those who have offended us. Maybe it's to give us the opportunity to exemplify more Christ-like character, and the list can go on and on. I love what Philip Yancey once said in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He said, At last I understood, in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all the issues of, for, of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. You see, God is a God who is continually in the business of changing lives and molding hearts. He is never totally done with anyone, and no one is beyond hope of being changed by God for the better. Therefore, no one is beyond forgiveness no one is beyond the forgiveness of God, and no one is beyond the forgiveness of us. Now, going back again to the letter, Philemon continues to read, and Paul goes on to tell him in verse 12, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. 
whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, what Paul is saying here is that he is expressing again his desire for Onesimus to stay with him, which again, what Paul was trying to get at is to show how Onesimus is now a changed man. Paul was vouching for him, and Paul wanted to really have him stay, but Paul chose to send him back as that was the right thing to do. Now, here's the interesting perspective that Paul brings up. Paul recognizes that this experience of Philemon was no mere coincidence, that what happened all throughout, from being wronged, from being able to come to know Christ, and from Onesimus getting to Paul and Onesimus going back to Philemon, all of this, Paul says somehow God permitted all of this, and ultimately it was woven by God's hand because he was accomplishing something greater than the incident. Onesimus' crime and flight became, by God's grace, part of the plan to bring him to Christ. The very attempt to escape and to lose himself only became the opportunity for him to meet the man who his master owed his spiritual life and now to whom he himself have found his spiritual life as well. That is why it certainly isn't mere coincidence that Paul became instrumental to both of them in their spiritual life. And he's the one in the middle of them now that they are having this problem in their relationship, which now opened the opportunity for them to be reconciled. And more than that, they are now being reconciled no longer just between a slave and a master, but as brothers in Christ. How marvelous it is when you think about it, right? That in God's tapestry, nothing really happens by chance. Paul wanted Philemon to see that while their experience might come across as unpleasant for them, God was still sovereign in all of this. He was at work. He was behind the scenes. He was still orchestrating and bringing about his greater purpose in all of this, even in the midst of the conflict situation. And here lies a third point that we would like to learn and also to cultivate a forgiving heart in times of conflict and to be open in reconciliation. Is that sometimes God allows conflicts to accomplish greater purposes in our relationships. Sometimes God allows conflicts to accomplish greater purposes in our relationships. While you and I may experience being wronged or hurt, Viewing our relationships from God's perspective helps us to recognize that in the grand scheme of things, it may not necessarily altogether just be negative or just be bad. Because at the end of the day, when we cling on the fact that God cares, that God can bring about good even in difficult and unpleasant circumstances, we can know that God can do His work in the midst of all of this. If you think about it, our relationship as believers in Christ is one that must transcend all relational barriers. You know why? Because at the end of the day, ultimately, 
that is what will last for eternity. And I think that is why Paul wanted Philemon to learn, to love Onesimus, to learn to get along with him even now. But you see, the sad reality oftentimes is that even as believers, we say we forgive each other, but how we treat each other does not reflect that. Whenever someone has wronged us, the implied behavior that we actually portray is, I don't mind you, you don't mind me, we call it quits, and that's it. That's how we actually behave. We felt that getting it to that level is enough to call it forgiveness. We often leave behind or put aside or no, or no longer see the worth of working on those scarred relationships. But you see, forgiveness is not just about getting even. Getting even or just settling on the status quo is the convenient way, but it's not the Christian way. Because true forgiveness seeks to exemplify love that is beyond what is comfortable, but chooses to do what is honorable to the Lord. And since Paul sees this whole incident between Philemon and Onesimus as God sent, he goes on and challenges them to level up and to bring their relationship into a whole new arena and says to them, you're no longer as masters and slaves. You're to treat each other as brothers in Christ. You know, Christian forgiveness is best exemplified when we are able to bring our relationships to a next level, to elevate them to a better one. Because you see, forgiveness is supposed to add value to our relationships. Just like in married couples, right? They say whenever you have conflicts, whenever you, ha- you go-, go into fights, supposed to be that matures, relation- that matures your relationship. They are supposed to mend it better, that as your communication gets better, you become more loving with each other. And I think the same idea goes for fellow believers, that whenever conflicts happen, they are to mature us in our love for each other, and in that way, they improve. They can be a means for us to elevate the relationship even better. You know, Paul wasn't saying at all that Onesimus' responsibility is all eliminated, that he is still a hired man, so to speak. Rather, what Paul was trying to encourage Philemon is that even in the midst of all that have happened, for the sake of the love of Christ, for the sake of their relationship in the Lord, Philemon would, treat, would choose to treat Onesimus lovingly, graciously, because that will be the tangible demonstration that he has indeed forgive, forgiven Onesimus. Some would have said, in its simplest forms, or terms, to forgive is to surrender our right to get even. Practically, it involves four promises. He says, I will no longer dwell on this incident. I will not bring up this incident again or use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. That is the nature of how true forgiveness actually manifests itself. How about you? How do you find yourself respond whenever you encounter someone who has seriously wronged you? Do you easily get triggered or annoyed just by the thought or hearing their names? Have you asked God to change your heart so that you can see them from God's perspective? Have you asked God to bestow on you the grace that you would need 
by the help of the Holy Spirit so that you can treat that other person the way that will, that will please God, that will be honorable, and the way that will demonstrate that you have indeed, you have indeed forgiven them. Well, in case Philemon here is having some hesitation because of what Paul was asking of him, Paul's, Paul goes on in his letter to tell him in verse 17, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul here is essentially saying, Philemon, please do me a favor. Do treat Onesimus as you would treat me, an equal brother in Christ. In case you're wondering, how are you supposed to do that? Whatever you plan to do to me, you do to Onesimus. But Paul didn't want Philemon to be placed in a difficult situation. He didn't want to have any constraint or for him to be burdened so that he can deal with Onesimus with the kindness, with the love that he can do. And so Paul goes on to say, oh, by the way, regarding Onesimus' debt, I'm not sure how much that is. I'm, I'm not sure how, how large that is. But whatever he owes you, I'll be the one to pay. Wow, this might have blown Philemon's mind and it's something that was probably out of his expectation. See, though Paul had no involvement or whatsoever in their conflict, that was how much he cared for their relationship. That is why he would go to such great lengths to take the cost, to take great risks, to take on legal obligation, to take on that sacrifice, all for the sake of mending their relationship so that they can be reconciled. What we see here in the heart of Paul is a profound lesson about his character that we can also learn when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. And that is that God can use our life to be an instrument of reconciliation. God can use our life to be an instrument of reconciliation. Now, sometimes forgiveness and reconciliation necessitates that one person who would have that genuine level of care who would be concerned enough to take on the role of becoming that bridge so that mending between the two parties can be made possible. I recently heard of this story about two brothers who lived and had their farm adjacent to each other. However, along the way, they had this deep quarrel. And while they have shared their resources before, now everything has stopped and they are bitter towards one another. One morning, one of the brothers, which we will call John, answered a knock on his door, and apparently it was a carpenter. And the carpenter asked if there was any work that he can do for them. John said that there was something he could do. And so he took on the carpenter to uh, the joining of the properties, and he saw there a deep creek, which the other brother actually have, have dug. And because of that, he was angry. He didn't like what the brother did. And so he said to that uh, carpenter, I want you to build a fence here. Uh, this cannot last any longer. 
I want to be separated from this guy and I don't want to see him anymore and I want him to come across my property ever again. And so the carpenter began his work and as soon as he reported back to John, John noticed when he went out that there was no fence. And what the carpenter actually did was that he built a bridge over the creek instead of a fence. John's brother apparently went out and saw that bridge and was quite moved by what his brother would do such a thing. And so the two brothers began walking and they met in the middle and because of that bridge, they were able to meet and embrace one another. And what a beautiful picture that they are again now reconciled. Well, as they have seen the carpenter packing his tools, asked him to stay because they still have a few other things that they wanted him to do. But the carpenter replied, I'm sorry, but I have other bridges to build. You know, when Paul said, charge that to my account, it also means the same thing when, he say, when saying, impute it to me. You know, what Paul was doing here, his offer of willingness to meet Onesimus' debt so that he can be restored to a relationship with Philemon is actually a beautiful picture of Christ's work. This is actually a beautiful illustration of the biblical concept of forgiveness called imputation. Philemon was wronged. Onesimus was a sinner. And he, was, he stood guilty of what he did. And Paul, coming into the picture, offered to pay the price, whatever Onesimus owed, so that the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus can be reconciled. In the same way, God was wronged by us, the sinner. And Jesus comes into the play between that relationship between sinner and God. And like Paul was willing to pay the price of reconciliation, no matter how much, no matter how heavy that is, just so that reconciliation can happen. I love what John MacArthur have said about this beautiful illustration of what Paul did as an example of imputation. Paul's willingness to suffer the temporal consequences of Onesimus' sin mirrors Christ's willingness to suffer the eternal consequences of our sin. Never are we more like God than when we forgive. Never are we more like Christ when we pay someone else's debt so that reconciliation can take place. Well, ending this letter, here's how Paul crafted his final words to Philemon. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So as the letter comes to a close, an interesting note I'd like to shortly point out here is the person Mark. Some of you are aware or may remember that there was a previous tension or incident that happened actually between him and Paul. Mark actually chickened out in one of their mission work, and because of that, Paul got really upset, and he didn't want to have anything to do with Mark again. 
which eventually led to a rift and caused a serious conflict between Paul and Barnabas and later on led them to their separate ways. This incident must have been well known to the believers back then, the fact that it was, it was even recorded in Scripture. But what we see now is that Paul was with Mark in prison. What it shows is that they have now mended their relationship. Paul and Mark now being together in prison, serving alongside each other. And listing Mark's name here would serve to remind Philemon of what had happened before, and now they are now reconciled. This would give a stark reminder or encouragement that Paul himself have worked on the issues of forgiveness, that he himself have experienced what it means to be reconciled, that he himself as the apostle have implemented what he has been encouraging for Philemon to do. That is why he is now in a good relationship again with Mark. You see, as an instrument of reconciliation, your life testimony is the best example of what it means to be able to forgive and then to be able to be reconciled. You see, how you and I would go through and would have personally demonstrated bestowing forgiveness and how we would take initiative to reconcile with our relationships is something that's better caught than taught. How you and I would handle times that we have been hurt or have been wronged, how we would relate and how we would treat those people who have offended and hurt us will speak volumes and will testify of itself before a watching world around us of what it means to forgive like Christ did. If I may ask again, how are you in your relationships? Try to think about the people in your life, in your circles of influence, or people you have encountered before. Anyone specific that might easily pop up or trigger your thoughts? Maybe it is that person that caused you a serious hurt. Maybe it's that coworker who have maligned you. Maybe it's someone you trusted but betrayed your trust and took something away from you. Maybe it's that boss who spoke ill of you and insulted you and your character. Maybe it's that family member or relative or sibling or even your spouse who have seriously offended you. Or maybe you have thoughts of people who you know need someone so that they can be reconciled. How is your heart towards them? Do you see them in God's light? The fact that He has placed them in your life or the fact that he has placed you in their life? Is there anyone that you realize you haven't fully forgiven and you need to do so? How are you planning to extend that grace towards them? Let me share this story as I close. I'd like to share with you the story of a personal friend named Dr. Tom. He is formerly president of IGSL. And this is a story about his brother who was a police agent. It was during a police operation busting a major crime syndicate that his brother was actually brutally killed being attacked by several criminals with numerous stabbing. At this time, his brother was only 38 years old and had left six children when he was murdered. Kuya Tom recounted of the experience of how difficult it was for him to bear the eyewitness accounts and to see the photos of what happened to his brother. 
And just like any family member cried out for justice and wanted to even seek revenge in his heart. Yet, however, they tried to put in the effort, it was to no avail. They couldn't find the murderer. Apparently, four months later, the main murderer actually got caught because of another crime totally unrelated to his brother's death. And this must be divine providence. Well, with this development, Kuya Tom recounts how it was a struggle within him. People prayed for him to be able to show God's love and forgiveness. But at the same time, he as a brother who is hurt, who is in despair, also wanted to take the life of the killer. Well, time came that a Christian police officer offered and called if he wanted to go and meet the murderer. And so he took him, to, they, they went on together where the f- murderer was detained and finally met him face to face for the first time. As he began to talk to the criminal without introducing himself, Kuya Tom simply went ahead to share the gospel to this murderer. The criminal later on, thinking Kuya Tom was a priest, expressed if he could confess his sins. Kuya Tom simply obliged and listened. And hearing that guy recount all that he did in his murder, not having any idea about who Kuya Tom was, Kuya Tom says was emotionally excruciating. And even at the brink of the pain, he recalled how the Holy Spirit would remind him to love your enemies and how God remind, would remind him that even this criminal God, Jesus Christ, died for him and loved him too, just as how he loved Kuya Tom. Later on, the criminal finally prayed to receive Christ and was assured by Kuya Tom that he is now forgiven and is a child of God. As Kuya Tom was about to leave, the guy asked, well, By the way, what's your name, brother? It was a very difficult response, said Kuya Tom. He choked, he couldn't speak. And the Christian police officer who was there was the one that responded and said, His name is Tom Rojas. He's the brother of the man you murdered. The criminal caught off guard and unprepared, fell prostrate down to the floor and sobbed real hard. Reminded by the Holy Spirit from Scripture, when Christ says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you, Kuya Tom recalled how he stooped down and lifted up this criminal and told the guy, God has forgiven me. God has forgiven you as well. And I forgive you. And in that moment, hearts were moved, tears fell in that detention cell, and it was indeed overwhelmed by the love of God. In fact, after a week, they even returned to visit the guy, only to find out that that guy already had begun sharing his faith with his fellow cellmates so that they can also come to know the love and the forgiveness that comes from above. Isn't that amazing? The power of God's forgiveness indeed transforms lives. Imagine the power of what forgiveness can do when we allow forgiveness to weave a beautiful tapestry in our relationships where you and I are able to live freely and joyfully because we have graciously forgiven. Imagine living in a community, in your home, in your family, in your workplace, 
wherein the forgiven and the offended become the closest of friends, treating each other like brothers and sisters in the Lord with love and grace, not letting any hindrance get in the way because you realize that you have embraced God's purposes for your relationships and that you are knit together, again, no longer as slaves or master, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Wouldn't that be a genuine manifestation of Christ-likeness? And would you say that is also a foretaste of heaven? If you and I can be convinced that God can take the debt of a sin of a thief like Onesimus to be forgiven, and thereby his master Philemon can choose to accept him like a brother, if God can choose to die for a murderer so he can give forgiveness and can graciously be forgiven by the man who can choose to hate him the most, if God can choose to shed his blood to demonstrate his love for you and for me, broken and wretched sinners as we are, so that we can be reconciled with him, how can we not graciously as well bestow that same forgiveness to those that need reconciliation from those who need them the most from us. Remember, forgiveness is a manifestation of God's grace through us. We are all God's work in progress and there is no life that God cannot change. Remember that sometimes God allows conflicts in our life to accomplish greater purposes in our relationships and take to heart that God can use your life to be an instrument of reconciliation. Shall we pray? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we take this opportunity and time to give you praise and our utmost thanks for your forgiveness, for the reconciliation that you have made available and possible through Jesus Christ, that you have made them available for free and all because of your love. I pray, O Father, that you would search each one's heart Look into our lives, O Lord, the relationships that you have placed in our life. If there could be any in our life that needs us to be extending of your grace, allow us, Lord, to have them in mind. Give them that heart, give us that heart, O God, to be open and ready, Lord God, to come close to them, be reconciled with them. We know, O Lord, that this work of forgiveness is a work of the Spirit. We ask, O oh Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be the one that will enable us. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. It is through you alone, O oh God, that we can be able to bestow the forgiveness that you have extended to us so that we can extend it to others as well. May you, O oh Lord, be honored and be glorified in the lives that we live and in the forgiveness that we bestow to the people around us. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.